The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Time Masters, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, July 12th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, listeners. And Professor X. Hello, everyone. Let's jump into our discussion of uh, Season 6, Episode 9, which was titled, This is Gus, and aired uh, July 11th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Bayrod is disappointed because the legends have forgotten his birthday. So when they track an alien pod to 2024 and wind up at his favorite television sitcom, he thinks it's really a surprise for him. Feeling guilty, Nate and Zari occupy Bayrod by keeping up the ruse by attending a taping of the show while Ava, Spooner, and Astra try to find the alien to get the timeline back on track, which proves challenging. Meanwhile, Rory's behavior has been a little off, so Sarah and Gary become determined to find out what happened, but Rory gets some unexpected news... From his daughter, Lita. I will say that is the official press release. And while that did happen, it didn't happen sort of in the way that it was expressed in the press release. So um, maybe somebody was puff puff didn't pass when they wrote it up. So let's talk about this. This was a Bayrod-centric episode. It was all about, once again, the sibling connection between Bayrod and uh, Zari. But we're going to start off with Mick. Because Mick was on his own little island, dealing with Lita, uh, dealing with Lita in, in, in a way that he did not expect. Rory was also acting, uh, you know, a little strange throughout the episode. We do get the answer to that as well. A big secret is revealed. Well, maybe not so secret. That Rory and Kayla, well, that Rory sort of has feelings for Kayla and that they shacked up. We're going to talk about it all. So, Professor, you have been a champion of Rory, even though when I've been a little persnickety about him. What did you think about him throughout this episode? His uh, interaction with a very pregnant Lita, uh, his interaction with Lita's, uh, Lita's partner, uh, the fact that Rory is pregnant himself. Yeah, talk to me about McRory. Um, I just, I, I kick myself, I kick all of us for, you know, because we had that moment with, uh, 
uh, with Rory and Kayla in the pod and the tentacles and the flashes of light. And so everyone's thinking, oh, Kayla must be pregnant and Spooner is going to be the child. This is legends. Of course, Kayla's not going to be pregnant. Rory is going to be pregnant. And none of us called that. We are fools. We are fools. We are fools. Of course, that's the way Legends is going to go. You magnificent bastards. Um, I thought it was great. You know, and, and again, you know, it allowed Mick to play slightly differently. Uh, and then we got that explanation for it at the end. Uh, and I thought it was it was brilliantly done, like, you know, putting, you know, the little pieces in place, you know, his his moodiness, his, uh, you know, his uh, uh, his his missing Kayla and everything like that can possibly be explained a little bit by pregnancy hormones as well as everything else. Uh, I thought he was great. You know, his reaction to to Lita was exactly what you would expect. How did you get pregnant? Ignoring the fact that he's been away for a year. And from her point of view, he's abandoned her for the past year. Um, uh, I thought Lita could have been a little more understanding because she does understand he's on a time ship after all. Uh, but uh, I thought it was great. That scene where, you know, uh, it really was interesting too. like, because he did the the scene with the, uh, the pickle jar, you know, just talking about, you know, stubborn old fools like this jar. Da, da. And it really seemed like he was, you know, just sort of doing the opening up thing. But as Sarah immediately realized, nope, he's, gotten the information about your boyfriend to track him down and kill him uh which of course is exactly what rory would do but then to have you know that that you know very tender scene uh where he's actually bonding with nico uh was was great I, I, again you know uh rory has just really uh you know he's not always the strongest character and i think he had been a little underused last season uh become a bit one note but they're really giving him stuff some stuff to play with uh this season his you know quest to save sarah you know all of that and and this you know I, I think we're going to be getting a lot more from Mick that will be really interesting as well so I thought it was a really really strong subplot that you know honestly um, you know it, it could easily this could have been you know an, an A story you know dealing with it but the way they did that you know even you know saving till the very end of the episode to be the reveal with the canned laughter and everything like that um uh, and, and shout out to Gary, by the way, for, you know, when he had the realization, you know, on second viewing, you're realizing that Gary has figured out exactly what's happening and, you know, uh, knows that before anyone else knows it. And he's selling it uh, when he's telling him about that. And the scene where he, you know, slaps the uh, the beer bottle out of Mick's hand, you know, on first viewing, you're thinking, is this because Gary is going to challenge him because he had sex with Kayla? It's no, because Mick is pregnant and shouldn't be drinking. So, of course, that's what Gary's going to do. Uh, just really, really fun and clever. Yes, Sober Mick. That's going to be hella interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Now, the one thing that I thought was just a tiny bit of a wrinkle that I wish that they would have um, just uh, delved into a tiny bit more is the fact that this Lita that we met is a Lita that's technically in the future. It, it's a couple of years from now. It, it isn't 2021 Lita. It's Lita from the year, in the press release it said 2024. I could have sworn that on the screen it said 2023. I, but I didn't go back and rewind and, and paused it just to confirm. Um, so uh, does anyone remember the, the the exact actual year that they went to? Not that it really matters. It was 2020 something yeah. a couple years from now. Yeah, that's just a 23 in the intro. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah, because when it said 2024 in the press release, I was like, that didn't sound right. Um, but it's, whatever, it's a year. Uh, but this is the leader in the future, and in the future, because they had already time-traveled, so when, you know, he brought her on, uh, I know that uh, Ava quickly mentioned, you know, this is, you know, the current year's Lita, 
So I guess at some point, Mick, for whatever reason, disappears for a year from her life, which I thought was strange. And we never really got the answer to that. Well, no, they did give us the answer, which is that when Mick didn't realize it, they jumped to 2023. So when he called Lita, he was calling from 2023, you know, having passed over the time in the middle. So from her perspective, he's been gone for the past two years. Okay. Like Ava actually specifically said to Mick that they they made a time jump, so he was calling her from 2023. Okay. Okay. So, okay, it's time travel and all that BS. So, in her timeline, like the last time that they spoke was in 2021, and because they jumped and all, okay, so, yes. Okay, so that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, time travel. Anyway. Millie, I want to get your take on Mick. What'd you think of Mick? What'd you think of the revelations? Uh, what'd you think of uh, Gary's reaction to Mick uh, being hella into uh, Kayla, the pregnancy, pregnancies, all of the above? Yeah, with the professor, it was just so cleverly done because you wouldn't think uh, that it would be Mick on that. So that was a nice little twist. They definitely kind of hinted at it, but it was a good kind of surprise at the end. So I, I really enjoyed that. I was curious about, like, he seemed, it, like, at the same time, like, he seemed very different, like, uh, off. He also seemed very, like, his usual gruff self. So um, I like how it, it was just enough of a difference to, like, if you were really paying attention, it kind of puts your antenna up. If not, it's like, okay, Mick's being Mick. I'm kind of curious what this does in terms of, um, kind of setting up Mick's story for the rest of the season, and then as we know, kind of behind-the-scenes exit. Like, is this setting up for Mick's exit on the show? I'm kind of curious. That's an interesting route to go because he has alien babies. Also, with Gary's reaction on just him figuring all that out, I do wonder if the same rules apply for alien babies as it does for, like, human babies because I feel like Mick not drinking, he's not going to be happy about. I know, right? It's funny, as as you were talking and as I was processing the professor's explanation, which was fantastic, then I still have a wrinkle, because um, Lita should have been a little bit more understanding than Mick's disappearance, because she should understand that he time travels, and this, that, that. So anyway, the, to me, I, I just found Lita's reaction to just be a, a bit extreme, especially because she knows that he's time traveling. So, that's just sort of my two cents about Lita. Because I feel like they've done that storyline with Lita before, where she sort of, um, you know, basically goes off on Mick because of, at times it is, you know, the time travel shenanigans. At times it is Mick being Mick. Um, so that was the only thing that I thought was a little weird about how the storyline sort of jump-started. It did wash away at a certain point, uh, so I was glad that they that that wasn't sort of like the focus of uh, Lita's return to the Wave Rider. I agree with that about Lita, but I would suggest, and this is pure headcanon, that if you argue that, you know, um, uh, when Lita called Rory, she was calling him in 2021, and then when he open the the portal to her it was 2023 so from her point of view she was talking to her dad two years ago he said i'll get right back to you then he disappeared for two years until the portal opened up and she was pregnant so my guess is that you know the the conversation was meant to be in 2021 before she was pregnant she wasn't calling to tell him about the pregnancy or anything like that um so uh yeah my my feeling is that you know that might explain why she was uh, a little pissed off because he had just disappeared for two years almost literally in the middle of a phone call Okay, 
I, I can buy it. I appreciate it. The professor is the time travel whisperer, and I'm, I'm here for it. Okay, so let's rewind and let's talk about Bayrod. It is his birthday. This is, as I said, a Bayrod-centric episode, focusing specifically on Bayrod, but also, you know, because his sister's on the Wave Rider, we do touch upon the Tarazi uh, sibling relationship as well. And something that I guess I never really noticed, but people mentioned it online, this is the first time we celebrate a birthday on Legends, which I think is kind of strange, because it's been on for many seasons. And, well, mm-hmm. yeah, again, getting timey-wimey, it would be impossible to keep track of things, like, unless Gideon is is tracking these things. Um, Clearly she was it, for it would be impossible, I and mean, she was. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, you know your your subjective time. There's no absolute time to measure things against. So yeah, I think it was it was purely done for for story purposes. True, and who knew Gideon was a gamer? Love that. Yes, so Gideon was keeping track, probably because they're gaming buddies. Uh, that it's Bayrod's birthday, and it's you know it's the whole uh, you know miscommunication, misunderstanding, you know, assumption type of sitcom-y trope. You know, this was an episode that did feature a sitcom of, you know, oh, well, everybody must be surprising me, and oh, this is my surprise, this, that, or the other. Uh, Millie, what do you think of the setup for this episode? Bayrod, it's his birthday. Clearly nobody knows it's his birthday, but he thinks that they do, and then they have a mission, and it just so happens to be in beautiful uh, Vancouver, where they shoot, uh, where they shoot, and, and the exact year when they're shooting Bayrod's favorite stoner sitcom, Budstye. I really liked how they kind of interwove the plot of this whole episode with a little backstory of Bayrod, and um, I think a lot of it kind of connected the dots because we talked about um, this. The stoner phase of Bayrod kind of gets a little questionable and maybe old and was his purpose but it's kind of fun to see um how influenced he was by this sitcom and i thought that was like a nice little nod to it so we can learn more about him because we don't really we didn't really know too much about him um like in terms of his kind of what makes him tick so i, I like that and i also kind of like how they through this whole story has the backdrop of kind of like representation on screen and we see that and the importance that has for bayrod so that was really well done and and allowed for a lot of character development between him and zarya so it was a fun little nod. I thought it was very convenient that it was also filming in Vancouver, his favorite sitcom. Exactly. Well, they can use, you know, the local color, basically. You know, they, they can have Vancouver actually stand for Vancouver, which is always fantastic. I'm glad that you brought up, uh, you know, the concept that they were using, you know, about representation mattering. Because, I mean, it's incredibly important nowadays you know the people are always talking about it and uh, they did it in a way that uh, you know wasn't really in your face but clearly that was the message that they were um, that they were trying to express with this storyline before we continue on with Bayride let's talk about the most adorable creation that has been on Legends since Bebo Professor, what did you think of the alien of the week? You know, I, I, I wasn't that fond of Gus Gus because he seemed so obviously, you know, a, a uh, you know, a Bebo clone. He's a Bebo wannabe. <gasps> um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great piece of puppetry. Apparently, it took four puppeteers to to bring it to life and to uh, uh, to make it react the way it did. Um, and it was a little, uh, you know, playing off the uh, the whole baby Yoda thing uh, from the Mandalorian, uh, which was cute in the sort of, uh, pop cultural reference. But, uh, you know, for me, there's only Bebo and, uh, and anyone in comparison to Bebo, I'm sorry. You're just, you're no Bebo. You're fine. Gus Gus, but you're no Bebo. Wow. The hateration. Well, the, well, you know, you're team Bebo. So that's, I, I, I respect that. Millie, did you like Gus Gus? I did. But at first when Gus Gus popped out, I thought it was just like a pink Bebo. I got kind of excited, and I was a little sad that it wasn't Bebo. But I like the, Gus Gus has his own little personality, so I think I, I work. I work for. I think Bebo and Gus Gus now need to meet. Oh, that would be nice. Could you imagine a finale where it's like a giant Gus Gus and a giant Bebo fighting each other, like you know, Godzilla versus Kong? <laughs> Bebo would mop the floor with Gus Gus. Come on, this is Bebo we're talking about here. More than likely, because it looks like the only thing that Gus Gus does is, you know, he, he can shriek, um, and um, he bites. Or she. But it was, it was cute, like, again, using the idea of, of uh, uh, Gus Gus as a stand-in for Baby Yoda, the whole, you know, idea of, you know, the, 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 show, the, the show focusing, shifting the focus onto him, and uh, all the merchandise deals and stuff like that. It allowed them, you know, in that very meta way that Legends does so well, uh, to make this commentary about, uh, you know, you know the, overall there's a, you know, they're, they're, they're making some important uh, statements uh, about commercialism and how it affects uh, television as well. So, you know, sort of presenting him as this, you know, candy-colored, and, and obviously this is a, the sort of character who would, would lend itself to merchandising. Uh, but will he ever have a holiday special? Again, Bebo says no. Well, yeah, probably not. It was interesting, just, just to sort of piggyback off of uh, what you're saying, Professor, because, you know, the concept, the idea, the sort of, like, the subliminal message, or maybe even the overt message, overt message uh, depending on, you know, how you saw it, uh, of representation matters. You know, so they, there's a show that has a particular message for the star and the co-creator. Um, you know, it might be a stoner sitcom, but it's it's about, you know having, you know, a little Muslim kid out there seeing someone that looks like themselves on the screen, and then all of a sudden, because there is, you know, a mer- new merchandisable element to the show, like, the message gets lost, and the focus is on the merchandisable element. Uh, that was fascinating, because, I mean, it's real. It's real. I mean, we've seen that on television series. I don't know if the, I don't know if people would say that that's what has happened on The Mandalorian, but it has happened on other shows. You know, something happens, something catches on, and the show completely shifts into a very different direction. And, you know, especially, you know, for that message to be made in Legends, which is, you know, the most multi-ethnic, uh, the most female-friendly, the most, uh, you know, gay-friendly show, I think probably anywhere. Uh, you know, for them to be, you know, making the point about uh, about representation, not by pointing to, hey, here's what we're doing, aren't we great? But by just pointing out that even this this dumb stoner sitcom, not watched by a lot of people, hmm, sounds like they're talking about another show, doesn't it? That's not a sitcom, uh, that is not dumb by any stretch of the imagination, but doesn't have a large audience. But you know what? Representation does matter, you know, in ways that uh, we can't appreciate. And then, then to get that, see that played out in Bayrod's character, I thought was, you know, a, a surprisingly clever way uh, of dealing dealing with that and and talking about something that you know it it does matter 
Totally agree. Let's talk about Bayrod. So, as the sitcom changes, Bayrod changes as well. And so, the actor, Shion Sabayon, got the chance to do something that we always talk about loving. You know, seeing an actor play a different iteration of their character. You know, whether it's, you know, someone from the future, from the past from an alternate Earth. This time around, uh, Bayrod was just changing, you know, as his favorite show kept changing. So we saw an increasingly cold, um, egotistical, uh, a, a very capitalist uh, style of Bayrod as the episode Progressed. Professor, what'd you think of uh, Bayrod as, you know, in, in particular, his transformation throughout the episode as his favorite sitcom no longer was his favorite sitcom in the future? Uh, really well done. And, you know, a little bit different. Like we, we've often talked about, you know, and they do it on Flash uh, occasionally, too. But Legends is uh, is a series where, you know, and, and, and you know, we were reminded of that with Zari in this episode where you do get, you know, you know, uh, the same actor can play two different versions of the same character. I thought it was kind of interesting the way they did it with uh, Bayrod in this case, because we had a transitional stage. We had him as he was just starting to change, but he was still aware of the changes. So he got to be starting to play the business guy and slicking his hair back and everything like that, but reacting to what he was saying, which, you know, gave him, it, it was almost like a third character, uh, you know, the, the self-aware version of, oh my God, what am I becoming? Uh, and then fully switching over into business douche by the end. Um, I thought he did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, he was still, you know, recognizably Bay Rob, but especially in, you know, uh, you know, it, it's kind of obvious his scenes with, uh, uh, with Astra, uh, where, you know, Astra's giving him the, the look, oh, I like this. Uh, but it was really, for me, it was this, his scene with Zari, uh, where they brought him back to the Wave Rider, where he's basically saying to her, hey, you know, you're not the only one who can be a business person in this family. Uh, you know, I, this is something that's been part of me all along. I could do this just as easily as you can. Um, you know, it was he, he was really playing the, the cold businessy douche really, really well, but it, it didn't seem fake. It didn't seem, you know, artificial in any way. It felt like a very real, yeah, this is who Bayrod could have become had things turned out differently. Millie, I want to get your take on uh, Bayrod's transformation as well, and I also want to bring in the storyline that, that the professor just referenced. Uh, give me your take on Zari and Bayrod's relationship throughout the episode, because at the start of the episode, Zari was like, I don't really understand why you like this show. It was only on for two seasons. Nobody watched it. Uh, you know, uh, Bayrod kept on defending it. It was a cult classic. Um, this, that, or the other. And as uh, the episode progressed, Zari got a better understanding as to why Bayrod liked the show, what it meant for him in his personal life. And as she saw him change, she was really affected by that because she saw that she was losing her brother. She was losing the brother that she knows and that she loves and that maybe she didn't appreciate as much because she didn't really understand how he got, uh, how he became the man that he is. Uh, talk to me about it, Millie. I really enjoyed that aspect the most of the whole episode because it, like, as we progress, we see, like, more and more layers of their relationship peeled back. I think it was done really well because at first you just think, like, oh, sorry, just felt bad she forgot his birthday and it's just things like that but then you kind of 
as you go, you can see like maybe there's not that disconnect. And we think about it, it makes sense because she was this kind of social media influencer, really all about herself. So I mean, growing up, they didn't really connect. And so it's the whole idea of like, you know, you don't know what you are missing until you miss it kind of thing. So I like how we got to see that through Zari and then um, her kind of work on, on rectifying that and really understanding where Bayard comes from because he's very different from her as evident on that and realizing like she doesn't want the button up suit kind of brother so that was really well done and just kind of fun to see that evolve throughout the whole episode absolutely let's talk about the elephant in the room so bayrod and astra so this is something that that we sort of referenced you know, maybe a couple episodes ago, maybe the previous episode, maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, Bayrod has been trying to get his Mac on with Astra. You know, he, he's been trying, you know, giving props for trying. And she's never really given him the time of day. At the start of the episode, she was not giving him the time of day. But as the episode progressed and she saw different sides to Bayrod, she was... Uh, her interests, I would say, was getting peaked a little bit. Um, shout out to that spectacular little, uh, like, cheruby devil mug that she drinks her coffee or tea or whatever in. I, I thought that was a fantastic uh, a prop for her. Um, and, and Okay, so then we initially think maybe it's just, you know, these changes to Bayrod that sort of peaked an interest in her. But by the end of the episode, when Bayrod was just himself, there was a look. There was a look. What do we think of this? You know, there. It seems like they're pairing up the Wave Rider. You know, the Wave Rider. It, it's a it's a time ship, but it's turning into a different kind of ship, a love boat, maybe. Uh, what do we think of this? Uh, I'll start off with Millie, Astra, and Bayrod. Maybe together, maybe not. A look is just a look sometimes, right, Millie? But sometimes a look is a, it's a look. Uh, I mean, it could, a look could be a look, but definitely in this case, it's a look. Um, and you could like see the like it unfold. And I do like how because I thought it was oh because he's in a suit like a you know fancy suit that's why like Astra started to like pique her interest. I do like at the end that we see that it's no she kind of appreciates the laid back weed kind of guy but i'm still not a fan of it i don't know i feel like of all the relationships on the ship i feel like this one feels like the most kind of forced so i hope hopefully nothing comes of it but i do think with the look at the end they're probably going in that direction okay professor are you down with that ship or are you just like no 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 you know, prior to this episode, I absolutely wasn't down uh, with that particular ship. But uh, I think having, uh, you know, uh, Bayrod go through that and having Astra realize, hey, I am attracted to this guy when he's sort of, you know, a bit more of an alpha male. But then realizing his alpha male was totally toxic. And in fact, you know, her chasing down uh, the uh, the star of the show and, and forcing him uh, to turn the show back the way it was in order to save Bayrod. You know, she really played a key role in restoring Bayrod to, you know, the lovable stoner that we know. Uh, you know, a look is not just a look when you also say that you like how the person smells. Uh, you know, trust me, I have HR documents out the wazoo about that. I just want to give a little shout out here to Olivia Swan. Um, you know, she is, you know, obviously, you know, she's been around for a couple of years now, but you know, last season she was pretty one note. Uh, you know, it, it was a good note. She played it well, you know, scheming bitch, 
evil bitch, manipulative bitch. Um, and, and her look reflected that, uh, in this, uh, season, you know, they're changing her look up, they're changing her, changing her reactions. And Olivia Swan just played the hell out of it. Not necessarily with her lines, her facial acting in this episode was great. Just like when she first sees changed Bayrod, total change, uh, the way that she's holding the mug in that first scene with the mug, you know, when we first see it, it's sort of like, okay, there's a, a, a demon on there, but you can't tell a, that it's three dimensional horns and b those googly eyes on it, which make it hilarious. So we get that reveal in the second one. Um, you know, uh, all of her reactions, you know, in the scene with, uh, with Zari, uh, where, uh, where Astra says to the receptionist, she's the good one. Uh, Olivia Swan is just, you know, I, I think that, you know, now that they've broken Astra away from what she was last season and we saw, you know, hints of this in the animated episode as well that she really does have comedy chops if she's allowed to use them. You know, it's sort of like Jess McCallan, who, you know, when she first came on, she was playing a very uptight character. As they found that she does have, you know, the comedy chops, they start writing more for her to do. Uh, and she's able to take advantage of that. And and I think she really did that. Uh, and if she does that, I, I, I think that, you know, her and, and Bayrod together, uh, you know, while I, I agree with Millie, it's, it's not my first choice for a relationship. It does seem that's the way they're going to go. Uh, and I think, again, that could help, again, to warm up Astra, to humanize her a bit more uh, and give her a lot more fun to play with as she's trying to deal with, you know, being attracted to this schlubby, drug hit, adult loser in her perspective. Uh, I think she could have a lot of fun with that. And, and I think that could be really, you know, uh, more enjoyable than just shipping for the sake of shipping. Totally. I, I will echo the props to Astra. I mean, she's still a bad bitch in the best way possible, but they are softening her a little bit. You know, like the, well, she was in hell, so I can't call her an ice queen, but, you know, the, the ice queen is kind of melting a little bit in, in a really good way. They're adding all these layers to Astra that are really nice, uh, and, and uh, I'm loving seeing her getting paired up with different people and just how she reacts to them, how they react to her, and how they both sort of help each other um, in their respective storylines, much like what we saw, um, yeah, the previous episode with um, Astra and Spooner. Uh, okay, the, um, the, I was supposed to call it the high-speed chase, but the, maybe the not-so-high-speed chase with the golf carts, spectacular, yes? Yes. Okay. Professor, did you enjoy it as well? Oh, God, yes. I mean, because once he jumped in the uh, the cart to get away, she could have just run after him and caught him within like three or four steps. The carts don't move fast. They don't have great acceleration, et cetera. But and, and this is why, you know, I was going to talk about this later. This may be the most legendsiest episode of Legends ever. It is metatextual. It is self-referential. Um, and even the idea of, well, you got to have a car chase in here, so we'll just do it in these. And when they're doing the car chase, they're, like, they're, they're going along and they're racing along, racing in air quotes, uh, beautifully done. And, and to do the ending of it where, you know, he, you know, the actor stops perfectly, no problem done. And then Astra runs into him, but in such a comically exaggerated way that there is no way on earth that the, uh, the, the first cart would have traveled as far or as fast as it did, you know, uh, in any way other than it was dramatically necessary and hilariously necessary for it to do it. And also, again, showing, uh, you know, Astra's commitment to getting her Bayrod back. 
uh, you know, that she was willing to do this, this silly chase and, and do that. And, you know, uh, Bayrod actually referring to that when they had their, their, you know, tender scene at the, at the end, you know, uh, again, sort of showing that, you know, Astra may be, you know, as we're saying, an ice queen, but she is thawing at least towards Bayrod. Uh, I thought it was a, a great way. And again, it was a show don't tell moment, you know, showing her commitment to do that. Uh, rather than, you know, in, in other shows, you could see how they would have a conversation with someone else, but, oh, I'm really starting to feel differently or, oh, I miss him. Instead, we see Astro by her actions proves that to us. Absolutely. So we've been talking about Bayrod and Bayrod, you know, had a fantastic storyline in this episode, but so did Zari and Zari 2.0 got an immense amount of character growth in this episode. Not that she has been horrible, because we've seen the character development throughout her entire run, you know, throughout Tala Ash's run as Zari 2.0. You know, she it, it's like night and day from, like, when she was introduced to now. But this episode, you know, everyone can grow, and, and she grew just a little bit more in this episode. So at the start of the episode, we basically kind of-ish pick up uh, with the you know the the concept that was introduced at the tail end of the previous episode that Nate can visit Azari 1.0 in the totem because it's the two totems and this that or the other and uh, at some point in the episode there's a there's a conversation where um, Nate sort of references Zari 1.0 and basically says, oh, she always asks about Bayrod, this, that, or the other. And, um, you know, she had sort of basically alluded to the fact that it was Bayrod's birthday, but Nate didn't pick up on that. And by the end of the episode, Zari goes into the totem. She has, you know, a conversation with uh, the other Zari, they talk about Bayrod, they talk about the fact that, uh, you know, one of the reasons that Zari is in the totem is because she wanted Bayrod to live, and and this, that, or the other, and so Zari 2.0 basically asked, you know, the totem ancestors, you know, because there are two totems and that's never been a thing in the past, if uh, Zari 1.0 can basically pop out of the totem and Zari 2.0 sticks around if that will sort of keep the balance of the totem and uh, Bayrod doesn't disappear from existence. And basically that that's the deal that is made or, you know, they sort of, um, you know, confirm that that can be done. And so Zari 1.0 ends up showing up at the end at Bayrod's party, much to Nate's excitement, well, it's also, also Bayrod's excitement as well. So it looks like at least for the next whatever couple of weeks means for Legends of Tomorrow, we will be having Zari 1.0 out of the totem and 2.0 in the totem. So we got to see Tal Ash playing both characters. We got some really great character growth for Zari 2.0, and we're going to be having Zari 1.0 at least for the next episode two or so-ish. Let's talk about this development. 2.0, 1.0, reunited. Professor, what'd you think of it? Well, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but someone on this podcast, last episode, said something along the lines of, I don't think we'll be going into the totem. I don't think we'll be seeing Zari 1.0 again. I think it's just going to be something happening 
off stage. So again, I don't want to draw attention. I don't want to point fingers, but someone said something incredibly stupid last episode. And, you know, I just think we should notice that. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I loved seeing uh, Zari come back. Um, you know, I, I, you know, obviously I've missed Zari 1.0 as, as great as Zari 2.0 has become. I've absolutely uh, missed Zari 1.0. Um, and, and, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, this was, uh, you know, Bayrod's origin story, it really was a Zari episode because it was about Zari's growth. You know, you saw her at the beginning not remembering her brother's birthday. And again, the, the subtle, you know, little things, the, the realization. And it's her, you know, Azari 2.0 realizing that, oh, my God, Zari 1.0, even though she's locked in totem, she's still keeping track of Bayrod's birthday, something that. You know, Zari 2.0 couldn't do. And so by the end, towards the end of the episode, you know, it's not just that, you know, uh, Zari uh, 2.0 has has realized, you know, the importance of this show to her brother. She's realizing that "Mm, maybe I wasn't as good a sister as I could have been or as I should have been. Uh, You know, he's you know, he's sort of, you know, a wind beneath your wing situation where, you know, he was the one who comfortably stayed in the shadow, allowed her to go on and become the dragon girl and the, you know, multimillionaire or something which she did remind people of, you know, early in the episode. Uh, so for her to reach that that stage of of, uh, of realizing that, you know, Zari 1.0, someone who she has, I think, on some level kind of resented because, of course, you know, when Zari 2.0 was introduced, everyone missed once they remembered a Zari 1.0. You know, Zari 1.0 was this absolute kick ass, this this incredible person. Um, and she always felt like she was trying to live up to that. So by the end of the episode, for her to reach the point where she's basically saying, well, I'll take your place in here. You can go out and hang around your friends for a while and even have cake, even though Zari 2.0 can't imagine someone enjoying eating cake. Uh, what a character growth for that character. Uh, you know, what, uh, you know, a sacrifice to make, not a, a permanent sacrifice by a stretch of the imagination, uh, but what a sweet, caring thing to do, uh, you know, for this, this person that, you know, previously she had resented. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, just tremendous character growth uh, for Zari 2.0 over the episode, both in terms of her relationship to her brother and her understanding of who he is and and why he became who he became, uh, but also her, you know, realization of, you know, being willing to do that for this other sister uh, who loves him as much as she does uh, and being willing to to let her do that. Uh, just uh, an absolutely great, great moment for the character. Totally. So we're doing this podcast and we're not in the same room with each other. We are across the universe. But I did t- turn over and I looked at Millie and she looked at me and we were both like, clearly he's talking about one of us, but I don't remember which one of us he's talking about. And she could remember. Uh, look, if, if someone wants to go back and listen to last week's podcast, one of the three people on this podcast clearly said the things. I don't know why I happen to remember that person saying that if you two don't. Uh, I'm just saying that one of the three people on this podcast clearly said pretty much exactly what I summarized. Oh, it was me then. And I obviously wouldn't want to embarrass this particular person by calling them out by name. Oh, well, not like you haven't done that before. Let's put it this way. If you had done it, wouldn't I call you out by name? Oh, yeah. Oh, so that was Millie? Millie, how dare you not believe in the power of Zari 1.0? But, Millie, it is your turn now, so you can defend yourself. What did you think of the Zaris? That is true. The professor would completely throw shade at me. Um, Millie, yes. Uh, Since I don't remember, uh, I forgive you for that. But the professor clearly is, you know, it's been festering over the past... uh, how long? It feels like it was like a thousand years ago that we did an episode, but it was just about two weeks ago. Millie, talk to me about the Zaris and how dare you not believe in Zari 1.0's power of return. 
I, yeah, my bad. I also didn't remember the comment. So maybe deep down I, I believed it and I was just talking. I actually, as the professor talking, I'm like, that sounds like something I would say. Oh, okay. 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 I think I have to step in and point out it was me who said it. Guys, the joke was oh. I was the one who said that we're never going back in the totem. We're never seeing Zari 1.0 again. It was me. I was mocking me. Oh, Okay. It's Good just, Lord, do I have to do? Do I have to carry everything on this damn podcast? All right. Well, you know, Mr. Pena's not here, so somebody's got to carry some extra stuff. Yes. Okay, Millie. So it wasn't you, but it did feel like it would. You you would have said something like that. But anyway, so now that we have cleared the air, talk to me about the Zaris. Uh, seeing Tala Ash playing both characters, seeing 2.0 get a little bit of character uh, growth. And seeing Tala Ash as an actor just slip into 1.0 all over again. Because we have to remember, the way they talk is different as well. You know, it isn't just the inflection of her voice. I mean, she, she kind of, you know, goes down a little bit an octave. Uh, it, it, you know, it's a completely different look. Uh, what would you think of uh, 1.0's triumphant return? I was surprised that we're that one point comes comes back and they is coming back and we have this like loophole. I wonder if it's going to be like a tag team. Well, it sounds like it is, but I'm like, is this going to kind of be resolved by the end of the season, or are we tag teaming from here on out to the end of Legends? Kind of curious. I actually like the season. idea of tag teaming until the end of Legends. I mean, they did it for so long on the Flash with Dan Killer Frost, and this time around. I mean, poor Danielle Panabaker has to go through, like, a whole makeup process for Killer Frost. All they got to do is, you know, tussle up her hair and put, put her in flannel and make her grab, like, a donut or something, and she's uh, 1.0. True. It's, it's a lot easier, and I think that in terms of storytelling, there's a lot more here that they can definitely go. And, and you don't leave Nate all alone, because he's been kind of mopey and sad with that 1.0. So, I guess I wouldn't be opposed to it. It would just be interesting to see, like, how they would handle that. Um, but overall, like, as you said, it's, it's great to see Tala Ash switch between the two. Like, she's killed it when it was more relevant between the two, and now it's always good to see her slip back in that. And just the the evolution of Zari 2.0 is just great. And this, at the end, where we really see that she's, I think, kind of the end of her going from this self-absorbed social influencer to somebody that's like thinking about her brother, thinking about another version of herself and everyone like that. Like it was really a nice ending. And I didn't really see that character. I didn't think we'd get there at this point, but I think it's really nice that we did see it. Um, and overall, it's just a nice, uh, as the person said, nice that it's, it's Farah, but really it's, it's sorry. And I think that um, it was kind of one thing that held her up as a character development. And this is going over the hump. We kind of explore the next part of her story. Yeah. Part of me wonders if this was always in the cards from the beginning. Like, when they had the idea to do 2.0, they had the idea to have them be able to swap. And uh, one of the reasons why they waited to do it until now is so that we would, as an audience, fall in love with 2.0. Because if they had initially done this, you know, we would have... I don't think it would have been fair for 2.0 if they would have done this from, like, out the jump. And because we had so much time with 2.0, we got the chance to fall in love with that character, at least for the most part. There are some 2.0 haters out there. I do read the comment section. 
under recaps and stuff. And there's there are still some hardcore 2.0 haters. But at least us here on the podcast, like we fell in love with 2.0. And so we got the chance to do that because we had time with 2.0. We got to see her character development, her character growth. And so now is the time for them to do that because, you know, we've, we completely understand who 2.0 is, and we do miss 1.0. And so this is a perfect way to sort of balance both of the characters. Yes. So let's see. Uh, what else have we not chatted about? Um, well, I think we covered it all. Uh, was there anything that I missed? Anything that either of you would like to chat about? Um, yeah. Anything, uh, you know, awesome stuff related to uh, to Nate. I was talking about, you know, the way that this is the, you know, so metatextual, mm-hmm. you know, the, the constantly referring to itself, like, you know, the fact that it's it's not a highly rated show. It has, you know, uh, a dedicated audience, but it's a small show and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, uh, when they bring uh, uh, Nate in uh, to, uh, you know, we're seeing his. Uh, you know, him, you know, being shot for becoming the, the nosy landlord, you know, his line, is this for the CW was just perfectly delivered. Like I've watched the show twice and each time he does it, it's such a, a dumb throwaway line. It's, it's perfectly done. But then uh, to have the, uh, the fact, you know, the reference that, uh, that uh, Zari makes, uh, finally the straight white man, uh, you know, gets a break in this business, yes. genius metatextual line. And then when she's talking to Bayrod, uh, you know, Bayrod is talking about, you know, well, he, you know, is the sort of person you'd cast in season two if you'd screwed up season one, which is exactly what happened with Legends. I mean, my God, you know, just the levels, you know, the, the level of mockery, self-mockery that the show does. Even talking about the writer's room, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised to find that those were the actual writers. I don't think they were, but you know, I can see them totally doing something like that. And, you know, the idea that these are the ideas that the writers are coming up with. Um, you know, again, it was just, it was so, so clear cleverly done um it, it just uh genius and shout out to nate for uh you know apparently getting uh you know the alien baby hooked on drugs i know right the the weed gummy yes well we don't really know if it's a baby baby but we're assuming it is and yes nate did get the baby hooked on drugs yeah uh, yeah, uh, props to the people that, uh, you know, the set designer and stuff for Budside, because it really did look like a sitcom set. I mean, they clearly filmed it, I would assume, on a sitcom set, uh, you know, because they had, you know, the where, where the audience sits and all that kind of stuff. But, like, the actual set that they created seemed, you know, seems just like, you know, a typical sitcom that you would see, you know, on, you know, CBS or Fox or whatever. Thought they did a really great job with that. Um, yeah, it was incredibly meta, spectacularly meta in the best way possible. Uh, anything else that that I missed? Uh, I will say just for me, the the party at the end was really nice. I always like to see when the legends celebrate, and as I said at the start of the podcast, I believe this is the first time we've ever seen a birthday celebration. So it was nice. It was a nice little moment. For the legends, so also just again a typically legends moment, which is that Bayrod walks into the room for the surprise, and and everyone is being completely silent because the alien baby is there. So we get to have the uh, you know the the surprise, but everyone's shh, shh, 
uh, again, just a, a typical uh, Legends moment. Oh, and uh, Gideon, uh, you know, when she's laughing, laughs as if it's the, uh, the laugh track from a sitcom. Oh, God, this show is just so brilliantly stupid. Yes. There was also a little section where, uh, um, I forget the line, but it was, Bayrod delivers it, and he talks about sitcom tropes. Like, he says that this is the sitcom, this is our sitcom mission or something. And it's he, a bit tropey, but... Yeah, it's a bit tropey, yeah. Which I was like, oh, God. Too meta, in the best way possible. Okay, so... MVP, most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so... Choose wisely. Millie, you have been conspicuously quiet. Who is your MVP and why? Um, I feel like I have to go with Bayrod. I mean, it was, we talked about him as a, this was his episode, and I really do enjoy the actress performance. Like, we got, like, three different levels of Bayrod from the beginning, his transition phase. I thought he, he juggled nicely doing a little bit of, of the Bayrod we know, and then, like, this businessy one, and then just see, like, business savvy kind of Bayrod is so different. It was all like small things that went overall in the performance and just kind of see that and to learn more about him was just kind of a fun, fun overall experience. Fantastic choice. Professor, who's your MVP and why? It's a point. This has to be one of those ones where you give it to the entire cast. Everyone was perfect. You know, even people who didn't have a lot of lines or stuff to do. Spooner, for example, uh, I was talking about Olivia Swan's face acting. Spooner was doing some great work, you know, in her reaction shots in the background. Uh, you know, Ava with the wrapping of the parcels, uh, Lita, uh, you know, uh, you know Mick and, and, and even Nico was great. Uh, this is something, you know, other shows, you know, especially Flash, you know, we've talked about the problem that the Flash has of dealing with a large cast. And what they tend to do is, OK, it's going to be this person's episode. So everyone else is just going to kind of disappear or not have very much to do. Everyone in the cast got to still contribute and, you know, you know, in an acting sense, in a humorous sense, really contribute. So I think the entire uh, cast of this episode was as good as I've ever seen them. Uh, and, and by the way, that's kudos to the writer as well, to be able to balance that many characters. Uh, the only one who wasn't around was uh, John Constantine because uh, he tends to, you know, suck a lot of the air out of the room. So it was probably good that he wasn't around for this episode, but everyone else got something to do. Everyone else played it beautifully you know sarah just quietly in the background eating cherries you know uh and stuff like that and her revelation about oh this is an assassin thing uh just fantastic cast work um boy and and because of that i mean there's so many great choices that it's, it's really hard to choose but I mean, I have to give it to Tal Ash. Uh, I said that, you know, this was her episode uh, between, you know, Zari 2's, uh, you know, uh, uh, change, uh, her growth, her, her reaction, the realization of that. Uh, and Zari 1, uh, you know, coming out and, you know, being reunited with the team and having, you know, her great line about, oh, I'm getting caught up on the changes. Doom, do, doom, do, doom. Um, but man, I just the, the entire cast. Uh, deserve it or the writer of the episode for being able to balance everything uh i really think it should be a shared mvp i will say that um you make an excellent point that this is a show that knows how to properly balance a large cast and we always well i always read comments uh in the comment section whenever you know i'm reading about uh you know one of the shows that we podcast about that does have a large cast you mentioned the flash but i've read it about other series as well and you know i always read complaints they don't know how to balance the large cast this that or the other and that's like one of the main complaints about a large cast and legends for whatever reason 
they know how to balance a large cast. You know, whenever it's an ensemble episode, everyone gets a moment to shine. And whenever it's an episode that focuses on a particular character, they all get a moment to shine. It's kind of crazy to think about that. The other shows can't do that. It's, yeah, uh, I'm like, do your homework and watch a couple episodes of Legends to figure out how to do it. Because clearly Legends knows how to do it. Um, As far as MVPs, I will also co-sign that everybody was fantastic. Props to the writer as well. And I'm going to give it to... Because I feel like both of you got like the right choices. I'm going to give it to uh, Olivia Swan. Astra. I thought Astra was spectacular in this episode as a supporting player. Um, she was front and center throughout uh, the majority of the episode because she was paired with Bayrod. And Olivia Swan, as the professor said earlier, was just fantastic in everything that she did. Uh, we're seeing an Astra that is really gelling with the team, that's you know bringing her own flavor. She's still Astra, but they're adding additional layers to her, which are really interesting to see because Olivia Swan is playing it beautifully. So let's rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 wave riders? The point system is loud, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden wave rider. For some reason, I feel like I know where the professor is going with this, so that's why he's going to go first. Professor, how would you rate this episode? I don't know that this was the best episode of Legends ever, but I stand by my statement that it was the legendsiest episode of Legends. The fact that it could be so metatextual, the fact that everyone had something to do, the fact that it was it was hilarious, but also genuinely moving. You know, there were some really great character moments, some really great, uh, you know, uh, you know, it managed to tug at your heartstrings even while it's, while you're laughing. Um, man, the problem with, you know, trying to, sh- I couldn't, you know, show this episode to someone and say, here, watch this episode. And if you like it, you'll watch the rest of the show. Because like they were saying throughout the episode with the, the metatextual stuff, look, we're not for everyone, uh, you know, and, and jumping into the middle of this would just be confusing. But, uh, man, this was an incredibly enjoyable. I've watched it twice. I will probably watch it at least one more time. It, it's just that good. It's got to be a golden wave writer. Starting off strong with a golden wave writer. From the professor, Millie Wood, where do you stand? How would you rate this episode? You know, I was going to give it a different score, but um, listening to the professor uh, and really thinking about the episode, I think what I really liked about it was that not only is it moving the character development, and we're seeing like Zari 2.0 really come come full circle in her development and and Nick as well, and those stories, I think it was all really done. But for me, what really put it over was how it really did touch on the whole thing about representation, and they did it in such, I thought, a a subtle but nice way that you're putting this commentary but doesn't seem like it's forcing down our throats like some other CW shows like to do, and I think that it tied in and it fit. I think it was really important looking at the characters that they were kind of going around and just looking at, earlier mentioned, the diverse cast. I think I really like that and I appreciate we were able to get that commentary and just balancing everybody overall like solid job by the writers. I think I'll have to give it a Golden Wave writer as well. Knock us all over with the damn feather. I think I think hell just froze over. I know, right? I had actually unmuted after I gave my rating because I was preparing to boo Millie for, you know, claiming some tiny little defect or something like that. So she's going to give it a nine point nine seven. Or uh, or whatever. So I am 
I am, as Jeff would say, shooketh. I am shooketh too, Millie Wood. You got the character development that Astra got in this episode. What the hell? What were you going to give up before? I do like that the professor swayed you, but were you, what were you going to give up before? I'm, I am curious. Like a 9.8. Oh, okay. Wow, you bumped up. I mean, yeah, you bumped up a bit. That's good. All right, Millie Wood, look at her. She can be swayed. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we got two Golden Wave Riders. Clearly, I'm giving it a Golden Wave Rider as well. It was a fantastic episode. And the Professor, you actually mentioned something that I forgot to mention as we were just discussing the episode. It was... An episode that pulled, it tugged at the freaking heartstrings. Uh, like, I was in my feels at a certain point in the episode because the acting was just so beautifully done. Like, I loved seeing the sibling relationship. I'm an only child, so I don't have siblings. But, um, but seeing the sibling relationship uh, between Astra and Bayrod, like, we've, got to, we've gotten to really know them over the course of, um, you know, a couple seasons. And seeing them together was so beautifully done. As, as Millie said, you know, the theme of representation matters was intricately woven throughout the episode and, and done in a way, unlike Supergirl, where it wasn't really in your face, but we fully understood that that's what they were trying to convey. Um, little Gus Gus was adorable. Maybe not Bebo adorable, but adorable enough for me. And, uh, yeah, every, everyone else was just fantastic. It was a, uh, a, a beautifully done episode of Legends of Tomorrow. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our announcer, G, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Perpetulo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Perpetulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at perpetuoradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Perpetuolo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at perpetuoradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Perpetuolo Radio programs by visiting perpetuoradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, G. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with... He's probably still shooketh, the professor. I'm just... I'm so happy. I'm just so happy. Good night, listeners. <laughs> I love it. And uh, Millie Wood, who uh, whose whose heart grew three sizes, is that that's the line from The Grinch, right? Yes. Okay. Good. Yes. <laughs> Millie. <laughs> good night, listeners. Uh, if you want to follow along on my Twitter, it's at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papichula Radio Archives. Good night. <laughs>